The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Um, and um, we're going to read just a part of the text today. I want to say to Allison uh, Nye and to all the musicians, thank you uh, for all of your work. Um, Some wonderful presentations today of music and really helping to draw us into worship and faith in Jesus. Thank you so very, very much. We have a big text to cover today. I, I'm, I'm not uh, going to be doing a verse-by-verse look at this. I want to preach the larger theological theme uh, that begins begins, uh, our text at least begins in verse 7 of chapter 6. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read 7 through 13, uh, and then I'm going to read down to verse, in verse number 30. So just, uh, I'm going to pick up the reading and beginning in verse 7 of Mark chapter number 6. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two, gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Now down to verse number 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. When they went away uh, in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. The word of the Lord, and it is for our good. Stay right there and we'll get on this sermon, which um, I trust will be of great help to remember that grace is awakening. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. The future is Jesus Christ. There is no need to fear what is going on in our world today. We are firmly secure and safe in God's kingdom because the grace of God has appeared and it has brought salvation. I want to begin uh, this sermon with the Flannery O'Connor quote I used a couple of weeks ago. And if some of you are not familiar with who Flannery O'Connor is, she is Uh, An American author um, uh, who wrote in the 50s, she died uh, at a very young age, actually, uh, was considered one of the great uh, Southern Gothic authors. She's a Catholic writer, and um, her perspective on her short stories uh, is, and we'll put the slide up, that the action of grace is done largely in territory held by the devil. And I'm going to explain in just a moment uh, why I'm using that quote again, that the action of grace 
is done largely in territory held by uh, the devil. So what we've seen uh, thus far in Mark's gospel, uh, the territory of the devil. And the territory of the devil has been uh, in the wilderness as Satan comes to Jesus with a series of temptations. We've seen the work of Satan uh, pronounced in the Jewish synagogue and also in the systems of Judaism that oppressed people. In chapter number one of Mark, we saw that uh, evil presented itself and the power of Satan worked through uh, King Herod, who had uh, John the Baptist arrested and imprisoned. And then uh, we should note that the territory of the devil is also geographic. It uh, is located uh, in various places where Satan's power is, is pronounced, as we learned a few weeks ago, even among the tombs and gatherings. Um, but also, uh, it is uh, systemic. It is rooted in systems of government or systems of power and most of all, lodged within the human heart. How many times have we seen in Mark's gospel people possessed by demons? So much so that their lives are not only under control, but they themselves are being destroyed by demonic forces. But there is something underneath Mark's gospel that we need to consider this morning, and that is why I return to Ms. O'Connor's quote, that the action of grace is done largely in territory held by the devil. Grace is the operative power that has been all over Mark's gospel account of the life of Jesus, except that Mark has not used the word one single time. In fact, the word grace isn't used by Matthew either. You can read all of Matthew, all of Mark, not once see the word grace. You get it finally in Luke's gospel only if you're reading the King James Version. And then John only uses it three times, but he restricts his use of it in the first chapter. I found that surprising. And I went back and I double-checked and I triple-checked it. And what's after triple? The fourth time you do it, the quadruple thing. And I'm like, somebody's going to come up to me afterwards and say, see, you missed one. And I'm going to go like, no, I didn't. Why isn't the word grace on prominent display in the gospel? It is because the writers of the Gospels are telling us the story of the one who's full of grace and truth. The one that, that John says, through his fullness we have received grace. Jesus is the one fully embodying the grace of God and through whom God's grace comes as an invading force into the territory held by the devil, and as Flannery O'Connor noted, it is a largeness of grace. It is an overflowing bounty of infinite grace contained in the fullness of God in bodily form, Jesus Christ. That is an amazing thing to ponder and think about, especially in the world in which we live. 
when we think that evil has the upper hand. The grace of God has appeared, which is why Paul then helps us out to understand grace. The grace of God has appeared, and what has it brought? Robert read it for us. It has brought for us salvation. The grace of God has appeared, and it brings salvation. And who is that salvation? Centrally, fully, solely located in? Jesus Christ, the one who is the fullness of grace, the one who is the fullness of deity in bodily form would be redundant for the gospel writers to keep saying grace, 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 grace. All they need to say is Jesus, 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 Jesus. Shows all that Jesus has done. For he is the fullness of grace. And so when we come to text, as we come to this morning, and I didn't read the in-between part, which is the horrific story of the beheading of John the Baptist, One of the tendencies in the church and of readers of the gospel is to try to make these again into human interest story, try to make these morality tales, to try to make some sense of it purely from the standpoint of human interaction. But that would be a a grave mistake because without the active agency of grace fully embodied in Jesus of Nazareth, the devil would have remained the dominant force running amok through the world and people's lives. And what I hope to show you this morning from these accounts is that it is through Jesus then that a bounty of grace comes and with it comes the overflow of blessing. We're going to find out at the end of the section that hungry people are fed. I can get an amen for that, can't I? I don't have any fish sandwiches for you today, but I can recommend a good place on Friday uh, for you to go. Sick people are healed. Can we get an amen to that? Sick people get healed. It's, it's okay. You can say amen. We're still kind of Baptist, but not, you know, Baptist. Baptist, stand. Baptist, say amen. Give us a trial. Try, give us a trial run. A good Southern Baptist amen. There you go. I like the A gets thrown. Amen. That's how you got to learn to do it. See, there you are. Demons are cast out. Stan? Amen. Demons are cast out. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Can you imagine it? Wandering sheep gathered compassionately by the great shepherd of the sheep. This is what we should be praying towards and working towards and having faith towards that this would become the normative experience in the life of the church. (laughs) You weren't so sure about that one, were you? (laughs) Wait wait, wait a second, that sounds like he's got something for us to do. (laughs) Which is exactly why we start then with Jesus pairing up his disciples and sending them out two by two. But as he sends them out, he sends them out with the authority that he possesses, and that too is an act of grace. Wouldn't you like to know who the pairings were? Like if you got paired up with Peter, you'd like, are you kidding me? We know who's in charge in that couple. Or like you're with one of the sons of thunder, and you're like, hey, I'm not a very good fighter, like please don't start anything. 
And you're like with Thomas, you go like, hey, Thomas, stop doubting, we can do this, you know? He doesn't tell us who the pairings were. He just says, I'm sending them out two by two, and I am sending them out with my authority. They need faith to believe, but as grace empowers their faith, they then operate under the authority of Jesus, and as they do, they take action that then benefits multitudes of people. And it's no longer then that just Jesus solely is doing the healing. Teams are sent out with his authority, actively engaged in bringing God's gracious kingdom to earth through Jesus. The fullness of deity and bodily form poured out now grace in his disciples. Demons are cast out. Anointing with oil. Many who are sick are being healed. It should encourage us to know that the grace of God was poured out on men who were not yet complete in their training. Anybody sits in this room and says, well, that's good for them, but you know, I'm not a very good Christian, or I don't have a lot of this, or I don't have a lot of that. They weren't the cream of the crop, folks. They weren't the A-team. They weren't at the head of their class. It was just a little bit ago, they thought they were dying in the boat, and poor Jesus is trying to get a, a, some sleep, and they wake him up, and he's like, what's going on? Where's your faith? But Jesus knows that they don't need to be complete at this moment. What they need to know is that grace has appeared through him, that he's giving them his authority, and that he himself is sending them out even though their training is not complete. And we need to, we need to know that as well. We who are yet in process, which means everyone who is a disciple of Jesus Christ is in process. And the way we become effective is when we operate under the authority of Jesus Christ, whose grace is still being poured out because the grace of God has appeared and it brings what? Salvation. It brings salvation. But, as we, we, we read and we'll see, there is a refusal in some cases of grace. In the experience of the disciples, Jesus tells them that if they are not received in a town, if they are not listened to, then they are to shake off the dust from their feet as a testimony, a judgment against that town. That seems, that seems rather harsh. Seems rather harsh. And we need to be careful in its application. But we also need to know that there will be times when, for the sake of grace at work in other places, that we need to take our leave and, and move on. Doesn't mean we stop loving or caring or praying necessarily. But lest we think that the rejection of the messengers is due to some inadequacy within the messengers themselves, we should note then in the next section, in this big kind of middle section from verse 14 to verse 29, that John the Baptist himself was rejected. He was rejected by, by wicked King Herod. There's no prophet greater than John. That's what Jesus said. And yet the message of, of repentance 
And John's preaching at Herod against Herod's immorality was indeed rejected. And not only did Herod reject John, but Herod also came to the wrong conclusion about Jesus. You know, outside of perhaps the wilderness where Jesus is tempted, and then in the courts of Caiaphas, uh, and that, of course, of Pilate, humanly speaking, we don't get a darker scene than Herod's banquet hall until we get to Golgotha, which is the darkest scene in all of human history. But the, the level of concentrated darkness that was operating in Herod's banquet hall when he had imprisoned John and then through the uh, sexual seduction of uh, this girl Herod then has John beheaded that is an evil godless thing and yet And yet, grace is still operational. Evil has not overcome the darkness, for we are told that darkness will never overcome light. Light will always overcome darkness. And it's interesting that we get a dialogue. So just for the sake of continuity here, and if you're not familiar with with this, I just want to point out that, that Mark is not giving us a chronological account of events. So from verse 7 to verse number 13, and then to verse 30, the chronological events pick up. He drops in the story of what happens after the arrest of John the Baptist, and I'm going to tell you why I think it is in just a moment. But my point I want to I give to you is this, that there is a dialogue that takes place when, when King Herod, verse 14, hears of it, that is, hears what is going on with these disciples of Jesus, for Jesus' name had become known to him. Some said to Herod, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. So John's already dead. That this is why these miraculous powers are at work in him, that is in Jesus. Others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. That dialogue sounds a lot like the conversation that Jesus had with his own disciples on the plains of Caesarea Philippi when he says, who do people say that I am? And maybe they're referencing this little, little dialogue here. But notice what Herod says but when, in verse 16. But when Herod heard of it, he said, Oh, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Now you say, why does Mark drop this story in? Well, let's remember that Mark has been arguing for the identity of Jesus Christ. He has been presenting miracles, he's presenting divine interventions, he's been presenting these things so that the identity of Jesus Christ is known. And he is showing us that not only through the witness of John the Baptist, but the testimony of Jesus himself, getting into the courts of the king, rejected, rejected. You know, I think about the wholesale rejection of Jesus Christ in the culture in which we live today. I think about, at times, the possibility or probability exists that in this room, 
Jesus Christ is being rejected, even though he is being proclaimed, even though his testimony is clearly being seen. And I, I, I think Mark drops this in. Not, not to kind of tell us a gruesome story in between two really nice stories. But tell us on these bookends, there is the powerful working of grace. And in the middle of it, evil rises up in one of its darkest moments, rejecting not only the witness of Jesus and the witness of John, rejecting the witness of grace. What a tragedy that Herod had come to such close proximity to the truth, turned towards unbelief. And this, this reveals to us then a very important lesson for us to remember in a world that is running amok with evil That while it is true that God's kingdom is filled with mercy and it is fueled with grace, the church must keep in mind that evil will always be present. Evil will always be at work. Evil was the power that controlled the the Herods. And, and, And that's evident if you think back in the story of the Magi where this Herod's father, Herod the Great, had all of the sons... Uh, two years old and under, put to death in and around Bethlehem. Why? Because he had heard that the king of the Jews was born. That was evil at work. And that evil continues, not only in the episode of John the Baptist, but when Herod sits with Pilate and then condemns Jesus to death by his silence. Evil rises up even while grace is operating all around it. And I could go on with other examples, but my point is this, that when grace appears, it moves evil off the mark, but evil still lashes out. Evil still causes deep pain. But the hope of humanity, and this is why we need to be energized by the Spirit, we need to be sent out in the authority of Christ because we have a message that the grace of God has appeared and when the grace of God appears what does it bring salvation thank you James salvation it brings salvation from the evil and the power of evil and and this is what then we can see in the first episode and the last episode Jesus empowers his disciples evil gets pushed off the mark they cast out demons they anoint with oil people who are sick they are healed That is a bounty of grace at work in the lives of people. And then at the end of the the account, beginning with verse 30 and going down through verse number 33, you have a different kind of bounty as Jesus with compassion draws people together. He cares for them. And then he says to his disciples, hey, they're all hungry. You got to feed them. And the disciples are going to feed them with what? You see, they're still in training. Right? What do they get fed with? They get fed with the bounty of grace. You know, we are people filled with the Spirit of Jesus, and it is important to remember that we live in a world filled not only with evil and evil rising and evil damaging and destroying, but we live in a world filled with the bounty of God's grace and the bounty of God's mercy, even though the horror of Herod-like powers still exists. I know it's a time of great suffering. But there will be stories of grace coming out of the Ukraine 
and out of Russia, by the way, and out of border countries, and perhaps even wherever Ukrainians live, and by God's grace, they are cared for and loved and helped. There will be stories of grace at work. And as we think about evil pressing in, let us not forget that God's grace has appeared and it has brought salvation. So what I, what I want to do, and I, I don't do this very often, and I don't want you to think that these are like points that you have to necessarily go out and do, but I want to give us four lessons that I think I'm drawing from the text that I pray will, will like awaken the agency of grace that is working in a large measure, even in territory held by the devil. So these lessons primarily are going you know, to be in that first episode, verses 7 to 13, and then 30 to the end, and 47. But this middle section, i got some stuff to say there as well. You, you can consider this application, right? And I, was probably, I wish you would do more application. Okay, well, here's your shot. I've got some application. The first lesson, and if I haven't said it enough or maybe said it the right way or said it clearly, I'm going to give it another shot. We are sent by Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We are sent by him. We are not only sent, but we are empowered by him with grace. And the purpose is to make him known is to make him known. This is fully in keeping what Jesus would then say to his own disciples as the Father has sent me. What? So send I you. And that is as true for us as it was true for them. Jesus sent his disciples. He empowered his disciples. He instructed them as to what they were to uh, say and how they were to carry out their, their, uh, their, their uh, mission they were to tell people to repent. They were to pour out grace in deliverances and in divine healings. And then at the end of, of the chapter, when he says, give them something to eat, uh, that's what they were supposed to do. Give 5,000 people something to eat. Um, Mia, every now and then, brings me Tic Tacs. This is the best I can deliver today. But if it was God's intention to multiply this, to give everybody more than one Tic Tac, God would do it. It's not his intention. I'll put them in my pockets to <laughs> keep them safe. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not, it's not like I'm an addict or anything. Don't worry. <laughs> um, Christ brings the bounty of grace and mercy into territory held by the devil. It should breathe hope into our lives. It should encourage us as we look out and we see the mission of Jesus that is all around us and the impossibility of that mission having any impact or any effect. The grace of God has appeared and it has brought salvation. There's an instructive pattern to follow in verses 7 through 13. I would not say that you're supposed to wear sandals everywhere you go. Please don't. I would say that it's okay to have two tunics on. Uh, you know, bring some bread, bring a bag, bring some money. 
but get busy with the mission. What's the real instruction in that? Preach the, 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 the uh, message that you're supposed to preach rooted and centered in Jesus Christ. That's the job of the church. That's the first lesson. We're sent, empowered to make Christ known. The second lesson then is that, that big section from verse 14 to 29. That the power of evil will be at work even while the mission of mercy and grace is active. We are going to face more than a headwind. Through most of my life as a Christian, I faced a headwind. But now, what is going on is what James calls, uh, translated in the King James, as the superfluity of naughtiness. We always snickered at that as kids because it just sounded kind of cool, but it's not cool. It is the... It is the rampant outgrowth of wickedness. Most of us in this room have been Christians throughout our lives, lived with the headwind, but now we are faced with the assault of a tsunami of wickedness that has broken out in the nation that we live in. Across the board, touching every part of life, a deep darkness. But the mission of grace will overcome evil in our day just as it did in the day when Jesus walked on earth. Why? How do we know that? Because in the greatest act of wickedness that was ever performed, the crucifixion of Jesus, the Lord of glory, in that godless act, in that God-forsakenness, our salvation was won through the blood of Christ poured out. Sins were forgiven. Propitiation was made. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and walked out. He overcame the darkness and the wickedness. The grace of God has appeared. The house of Herod is in the dustbin of history. America will end up in the dustbin of history. Only the true kingdom of God, only the true house, the house of David will remain. And Jesus sits on that throne and he sits on that throne forever. Regardless of what the Herods will do in the world in which we live. Now my third lesson uh, picks up then in verse number 30. And that is, there are times when we need rest. But don't resent it when the needy come and interrupt your rest. Are there times we need rest? Absolutely. I was reading somebody had a comment about Jesus, and I really liked it. They said, I like Jesus because he took naps. <laughs> like, I can get behind that. I can get behind that. But what we read in verse number 34 is that as they're trying to get some rest, the crowds find them, and then Jesus sees them, and he goes ashore. What does he have on them? He has compassion. He sees them like sheep. They are without a shepherd. And he doesn't just look at them kind of with eyes of compassion. Oh, I feel sorry for this group of people. No, he begins to teach them many things. He meets their need. I need, to, I need to ask myself this question day by day. I need to ask you this question as well. Does your discipleship support 
needy people? Does your discipleship, is it adequate to meet the day of evil in which we live? I said this last Wednesday night in our Lenten series. I'll say it again. I'm going to probably repeat it a few more times as I go along in the month ahead or so. Most of the way Christians practice discipleship was adequate for headwinds. I don't think it's adequate for the kind of evil we're facing today. I think it would be wise for every Christian to take an inventory of their discipleship practices and ask, do those practices meet the spiritual demands of the day in which we live? Not in the time we used to live in. And by discipleship practices, I mean the reading of God's word, the meditating on God's word, our prayer life, the focus of our church community, what does it mean to be a community of believers, how often we get together as God's people, what's our focus when we're together as God's people. I mean, this has been a growing concern in my own life, and I made structural changes in my discipleship now about three years ago, and I continue to work hard at that a faith that requires something of me because we are facing more than a headwind today. We are facing a tsunami. And if you're just kind of going along with discipleship practices that were good and adequate for the previous times, you might want to rethink and you might want to look for a new way or it's much a new way, but a way that adequately addresses what we're facing today. We need rest, that the needy are all around us and they are going to come. And if we are going to be able to meet the need, then we need to make sure it, within us we are whole, within us that we are healthy spiritually. All right, here's the last one. Um, like the disciples, we're still in training. We're still in training. I Hey, here's, here's a newsflash, no surprise. I haven't figured it all out. I'm still in training. And so are you. You see, the disciples want to send the hungry people away. Jesus says, give them something to eat. They're like, no, send them away. <laughs> Let them go find their own food. And Jesus goes, no, you give them something to eat. And they say to him, verse number 37, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, well, no. How many loaves do you have? And they come back and they go, we got five and we got a couple of fish. The bounty wasn't to be found in the loaves and the fish. The bounty was to be found in the one who then took the loaves and the fish, blessed them and handed them out. And kept handing them out. The grace of God has appeared and it brings salvation. Do what is in front of you with what God has given you. Most people push pause because they're sitting around and waiting for God to bring them more. Make me smarter, make me this or make me that or make me whatever. And God says, no, you're what you are. Use what you have. It's in your hands. Just do it, because the grace of God has appeared. And 
We need to return to this time after time after time. Do what is right in front of us with the resources that God has given to us. Because when God's resources are empowered by God's grace, then grace gets written all over our lives as well. Grace doesn't need to be written in a word tattooed on us. People go like, wow, look at grace at work in these people's lives. In my reading this week, I was reminded that if we faint in the day of adversity, it's because our strength is small. My prayer is that this particular sermon will remind us of the strength that is ours because we live in a day of adversity and that strength comes through the grace of God that has appeared and has brought us salvation. Friends, the future is Jesus Christ. Live by faith in him. Father, as we uh, pause here for just a moment now and come to your table, we believe that in coming, even there we, we receive grace poured out through faith in what you have done in your finished work, your once and for all work, which we are glad to remember and yet enter into by faith. We say, oh God, would you strengthen us? Would you help us? I'm going to be quiet for a few minutes. You talk to God about these things. And then we'll celebrate the table together. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Pray.